the rowboat was but gently swaying. I lay with my arm over the side, my fingertips skimming the smooth surface of the water, my head nestled comfortably in Fiona's lap. She was stroking my brow again, the way that she used to, telling me by talking about all manner of anything else, that everything was going to be fine. Her warm breath tickled my lips as the usual inevitable smile began to creep slowly onto my face. She laughed at the sight of it, leaning over to press a single soft kiss gently against my eyelid. She whispered, If only you had truly loved me, Jack, I never would have died. I was suddenly bobbing in the water, and it had grown black and boundless, an abyss. Fiona sat stiffly in the rowboat, wearing that dusty gown I'd buried her in and staring blindly into the distance. I was clutching at the sides of her vessel, unable to pull myself from the turbulent waves. There ain't never been room for the three of us, she said, and you promised me you'd care for Abigail. I looked back toward the shore, and there was my sunshine, smiling out at me, waving her arm the way she did when she spied me coming for her at the schoolhouse. Pa! Her voice was the merest echo, but drew me as irresistibly as a magnet might a bit of tin. Then we were on the shore together, Abigail and I, and she had hold of my index and middle fingers as we looked out to sea. I whispered softly, I lost one vice early, yet others undermine the optimal me fully expecting such foolishness to be met with the derision it deserved. Fiona did not disappoint me. Though her small craft was disappearing over the horizon, somehow her gentle laughter and sweet voice still sounded in my ear. It's time, Jack. You've put it off long enough. Time to wake up. I did so, and found myself looking over the crumpled white linen of my bedsheet. I lay for a spell. Savoring the memory of that dream, marveling over the way it left me feeling simultaneously sad and yet a little bit hopeful. I hadn't dreamt of poor Fiona Rich in years, and never about her passing before. Not even when the grief had been fresh, when the weight of losing her too had been nearly more than I could bear. I rolled over onto my back and stared up at the ceiling, not so much seeing the rafters and cobwebs as just letting my mind get used to the idea that such mundane items might yet exist. I've never been one to rouse quickly. Leastwise given the choice, it's always been my belief that the best days are those we can ease gently into. Finally, I swung my legs over the edge of the bed and sat up. The late September sun had risen, streaming through the open curtains behind me, and painting a brilliant square replica of the window onto the wall before me. Off to my left, the door to the hall stood open, and I could hear certain sounds of industry emanating from the kitchen. You best not have lit that fire, Abs. That came out as a croak, and I coughed to clear my throat. There followed a familiar tip-tapping along the hall, and then Maribel peeked her big head around the corner at me. Her eyes lit up when she saw me sitting there awake, and she came forward swinging her tail. She forced away between my knees, angling her snout up toward my face for her morning kiss. I mean the one she gave me, not the other way around. I scratched her ears and told her, you best not have lit that fire either. That got her tail pumping faster, and she backed toward the door to remind me of our standing appointment. I stood and stretched and scratched and otherwise used up the last of my stalling. Finally, I said, all righty then, lead the way, and she did so 
back out into the hall and along the kitchen where we found Abigail, seated at the table, copying equations from her battered raised primary. My daughter didn't look up or otherwise acknowledge my arrival, doubtless to show me just what she thought of my faith in her. I saw that the stove was indeed dark and cold, though the pan with the biscuit dough stood ready and waiting atop it. Morning, pumpkin, I said, patting the top of her head as I passed. She continued to ignore me, and then I descended the stairs into the dark storeroom below. Maribel stood waiting at the back door, prancing in anticipation. The moment I turned the latch, she wedged her nose in between the door and the jam, trying to pry them apart. Once there was about half enough space, she forced her body through the gap and bounded out into the yard. I know, Mare, you only love me for these opposable thumbs. But by then she was ignoring me, too.